This is a podcast by The Straits Times. This is Asian Insider, and I'm Nirmal Ghosh. Now, the question of Taiwan, which China considers a renegade province that will and must one day reunite with the mainland, is looming larger in U.S. foreign policy nowadays. China has been increasingly aggressive, most visibly sending warplanes into Taiwan's air defense identification zone, crossing the median line in the straits on a regular basis after respecting it for something like 20 years. President Joe Biden recently sent an unofficial delegation to Taiwan in a show of support. Among them was former Senator Chris Dodd. They met with Taiwan's president, Madame Tsai Ing-wen, who told them that China's incursions in the air and at sea were altering the status quo and threatened regional peace and stability. The senator told President Tsai the Biden administration would be a reliable and trusted friend and support Taiwan's self-defense. Now, it is important to remember that the U.S., while it has a close relationship with Taiwan, is not obliged by any treaty to come to its defense if China launched an invasion. To help us understand the dynamics at play and America's options, I'm really pleased that we have Bonnie Glazer joining me today. Bonnie Glazer is currently in transition from Senior Advisor for Asia and Director of the China Power Project at the Center for Strategic and International International Studies, the CSIS, to Director of the Asia Program at the German Marshall Fund of the United States. Congratulations, Bonnie, on that, and thank you for your time today. First, how significant... Thank you for the congratulations, and thanks for having me. Thank you, Bonnie. First, how significant was the fact that Japan and the United States, in their joint statement following Japanese PM Yoshihide Suga's visit to the White House, mentioned Taiwan for the first time since 1969? I think it was a very important signal. Um, The language itself was cautious, um, essentially uh, supporting the preservation of peace and stability uh, in the Taiwan Strait. But uh, neither Japan nor the United States has put this in a a document uh, together um, since, as you said, before normalization of Uh, uh, Japanese-China relations or U.S.-China relations. So the two countries, I think, have uh, quietly and privately talked about their shared concerns about the potential for growing tension and even war in the Taiwan Strait. But saying it publicly in this joint statement, I think, was an important signal to China that it's not just the United States that is worried. Uh, Japan has uh, really important um, interests at stake uh, in the Taiwan Strait. So in a recent article in Foreign Policy, you and co-author Jeremy Mark showed how China and Taiwan are codependent economically. And in fact, exports from Taiwan to China went up last year. How does this factor in the China-Taiwan relationship and the growing annoyance China appears to be exhibiting towards Taiwan, and of course the U.S. as well. Well, China and Taiwan really have uh, codependence. Taiwan sends a very large percentage of its exports uh, to China, and and particularly in the IT uh, area, in uh, electronics and semiconductors. Uh, and, And China is very dependent 
on those sophisticated electronics coming from Taiwan. And as the United States seeks to block some of this technology going to China, uh, Taiwan may be caught in the middle, pressured not to sell, uh, but China's dependence on Taiwan is also going to grow. Uh, but one of the points we wanted to make in the article is that although we have seen quite a bit of military and diplomatic coercion that China is exerting against Taiwan, we haven't seen very much economic pressure. We saw a bit when Tsai Ing-wen first came to power and Chinese tourists were um, told not to go to Taiwan. Um, and, and then more recently, we had this ban on the import of pineapples from Taiwan. Obviously, a very, very small amount of uh, revenue. Uh, that, uh, I think that the pineapple growers themselves uh, would have been quite um, concerned if uh, Taiwan um, itself, Taiwanese citizens bought pineapples, but also Japan, the United States, and I believe Australia also bought pineapple. So at the end of the day, their market is probably expanded. Uh, but it's a shot across the bow. It's a signal that uh, actually with almost 44% of Taiwan's exports now going to mainland China, that Taiwan is vulnerable. But yet that um, warning may be hollow because China itself, I think, is reluctant to put too much economic pressure on Taiwan. It could harm China itself. And it could also undermine what is, of course, its objective of using economic integration to eventually achieve political integration. Right. So in that same article, you wrote that some observers view China's growing pressure as a sign that Beijing is no longer confident that time is on its side and that patience for reunification may be growing thin. Do you see it that way? Well, I think that China remains confident that it can deter Taiwan from going independent. And that is the urgent task for Xi Jinping. However, the confidence that China will eventually be able to reunify Taiwan with what it calls the motherland, I think that confidence is eroding, in part because public opinion polls in Taiwan show that very small percentage of the people uh, actually aspire to reunify with mainland China. And um, also there's uh, no support in Taiwan for any definition of one country, two systems, and even support for what has been known as the 1992 consensus that was reached between the KMT, the Nationalist Party and the Chinese Communist Party, even support for that. Uh, is now um, really diminishing in, in Taiwan. So I do think that they are concerned about whether they will be able to achieve reunification. That said, uh, China has not abandoned what it calls its guidelines of achieving um, uh, peaceful unification and, and, and pursuing peaceful development of relations across the strait. And it's noteworthy that when Xi Jinping was in Fujian province just about two weeks ago, he was on an inspection tour, that he talked about um, it basically urging the officials in Fujian to promote uh, more economic ties uh, with uh, Taiwan. So rather than visiting a frontline um, PLA unit, uh, for example, he met with uh, some people's armed police unit. So I think that is quite telling that China, um, of course, is using 
military means to coerce Taiwan, to try to convince the people of Taiwan that they have no choice other than unification with, uh, with the mainland. But at the same time, I think that they are reluctant um, to use force, at least for the time being. Very interesting. And so a recent commentary suggested that the U.S. guaranteeing the defense of Taiwan would likely force the hand of the Chinese government and bring on the attack it is designed to prevent. I'm curious as to your view. Is, is this a case of ambiguity be, being better than clarity? I mean, there's a lot, of, lot at stake in maintaining the status quo rather than precipitating a conflict, however ideological it may be to China. Well, I think it's a very important question and is a topic that is uh, very much being intensely debated in the United States. Uh, if the United States were to abandon strategic ambiguity and adopt a position of strategic clarity, that would mean that the United States would be saying in all possible contingencies, the U.S. would come to Taiwan's support. And I believe that right now, um, actually, the United States uh, faces great challenges in coming to the defense of Taiwan because of the development by China of anti-access area denial capabilities. It would put in jeopardy um, U.S. forces and uh, it would be very costly for the United States. That doesn't mean the U.S. wouldn't do it, but the concern I think that many people have is that Xi Jinping might calculate that the U.S. won't uh, want to pay that cost. And so it uh, could that China could succeed in, in an invasion. Uh, but if the United States were to make that statement and it couldn't actually back it up, in other words, if the US doesn't have a credible uh, ability to defend Taiwan, then China might conclude that it might as well just go ahead while the United States is vulnerable um, in a period that may not last for more than five to 10 years. Um, and take Taiwan by force now. So my view is that it might provoke the attack that the United States is seeking to deter. But there are also a, a few other reasons that I think that it's a, a bad idea. I think that um, we want Taiwan to do its utmost to defend itself. And if the United States tells Taiwan and the rest of the world that we will defend it under all circumstances, I wonder if that might remove some of the incentives for Taiwan to do more in support of its own defense, to spend more money, and to undertake defense reforms. So I was looking at tweets from Taiwan's presidential spokeswoman, Kola Siotaka, and earlier this month, she put out an interesting one. She said, Taiwan wants peace, but don't underestimate our defense. We know our adversary, and we have been managing them for 70 plus years. Is the risk of conflict being somewhat exaggerated? Well, in my view, those individuals who predict that there will be an, an invasion by China, um, you know, tomorrow <laughs> or sometime in the next few months or even few years, um, I think that that is too alarmist. I think the PLA does not have yet the capabilities to seize and hold Taiwan. A failed attempt would be very damaging for Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party. I think we can all agree that as Xi Jinping is in the run-up to uh, the anniversary of the founding of the Chinese Communist Party, 
as he uh, approaches the uh, the next uh, party Congress in the fall of 2022, and as China uh, holds the Olympics, uh, this is not a time where China wants a, a fight with, with Taiwan. Uh, but even after that, I would say that Xi Jinping probably does not want to put at risk all of the ambitious plans that he has for China. Um, over the next uh, 15 years. He's set out a series of plans and objectives for 2035 and then 2049, the year that uh, China is supposed to achieve national rejuvenation. And I believe that unless Taiwan is really um, in danger of separation from China, that it's not going to be seen as urgent by Xi Jinping to use force to achieve uh, unification. So I think that most of what China is doing is, is pursuing a, a, a psychological uh, set of operations, you could call it hybrid warfare or gray zone tactics, which stay under the, under the threshold that would trigger a, uh, an intervention by the United States and convince the people of Taiwan that it's pointless to resist because their future is with mainland China. Uh, we have seen this evolve over the last several decades. It's just that China's gray zone toolkit today is far bigger than it was in the past. And so it is much more dangerous today. Uh, China can use cyber operations to take down Taiwan's electrical grid if it chooses to do so. Um, and it operates almost daily now in Taiwan's air defense identification zone. Some people think maybe it will actually try to seize some of Taiwan's outer islands or one of its islands uh, in the South China Sea. Um, so, I mean, all of these, I suppose, are possible, but they will certainly convince the people of Taiwan that they don't want to be part of China. So I'm not sure it really advances China's uh, objectives. Okay, before I let you go, the CSIS website has been blocked by China. We heard you know, this week there is speculation that it's because four CSIS fellows, including yourself, signed a letter supporting Germany's Mercator Institute for China Studies, which was among those entities in Europe sanctioned recently by China. And the letter said this was short-sighted and part of a darkening trend in academic exchange. Could you tell me a little bit more about how you view this? Others have also remarked as well that academic exchange has been suffering as eroded. People are worried about going to China, for instance, and that's not a good thing because it doesn't help develop an understanding of each other. I'm curious as to your views on that. Well, I think that the main precipitating factor uh, that led China to block the CSIS website uh, was not related to that letter but it was the publication of an article that I co-authored with uh, three of my former CSIS colleagues, uh, Scott Kennedy, Drew Blanchett, and Matthew Goodman. And we, uh, that article is called Stand with Merricks. And Merricks, of course, is the name of the German think tank that uh, was sanctioned uh, by China. And essentially what we said in this article was that uh, think tanks and scholar, scholars should be off limit. Um, we, we should not be uh, imposing sanctions on think tanks in China or in the United States or in Europe or anywhere, or individual scholars. Scholarly exchange should be promoted 
even in this period, uh, which has been rather prolonged, it started, of course, under the Trump administration, where we have had deteriorating uh, relations between the United States and China. Scholarly exchange is more important than ever. And so I think that it should be walled off from uh, government sanctions that are uh, that are imposed. The United States has not imposed sanctions on individuals in China who are not government officials. Uh, we've, uh, the U.S. has sanctioned members of the National People's Congress, officials in Hong Kong, um, and uh, and officials, of course, in, uh, in 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 mainland China. But I, I I think that this was a mistake, and I think that China's move to block the CSIS website. Uh, just demonstrates that uh, uh, they um, are unwilling uh, to listen to any of the voices in the outside world. And I think that's really quite worrisome uh, because I think that if Xi Jinping is, is going to achieve his ambitious goals, uh, that he's going to need to have uh, better relations with countries around the world. He can't just stamp out every voice in the world that criticizes China. So I think that this was, it, it was the wrong move. I hope Beijing will reconsider. I hope it will lift uh, the, uh, the blockage on the CSIS website. And of course, on many other um, uh, think tanks, there are also bans and I won't uh, use names of course, but the number is, is growing. Right. Bonnie Glazer, always a pleasure to have you on Asian Insider. Thank you very much and stay safe out there. Thank you, Nirmal. So a risky situation, a lot of tension over Taiwan, but also a lot at stake in maintaining this very delicate status quo. For Asian Insider, I'm Nirmal Ghosh. That was an SBH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.